Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to finish up the final positional review. We'll talk about the special teams today. And of course, we're going to talk about the Wolfpack. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Ravens' philosophy on special teams and the context of special teams in a changing NFL. And joining me to do that is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be here. Always great to have you on, Jordan. Jordan is the host of The Situation Room that airs right on this very website <laughs> and uh uh you can you can see it there and he also uh is at raven sit room on twitter he host, co-hosts that show with gabe ferguson who's at gabe fergie on twitter as well uh jordan thanks for joining us today always happy to be here ken fun talking football with you all right let's thank our sponsor liquid death the water that will brutally murder your thirst please give that product a try they've been very good to us they have a good lime seltzer that i'd recommend uh, but any of their flavors are environmentally sound because they come in cans and those have a higher probability of getting recycled than plastic, which will end up in a landfill. Sorry about the dog there. Yeah, the, the pups love that uh, liquid death. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, you know, more than the results, because the results across the board for the Ravens are fantastic on special teams. They are above average in every single unit. Um, but one of the one of the issues, and it's actually an issue for a team like the Ravens, where um, they're so good at it, the the reduction in context of special teams across the NFL is a fairly significant factor. Yeah, well, you know, when you think about it, with touchbacks alone, and with a guy like Tucker, who on any given play could kick a touchback if he really wanted to, or I believe that he could on on just about any given play. That anytime he didn't if he was intentionally trying to, it would just be a miss hit. Um, you know, that that eliminates a huge piece of the special teams from kind of a kick covers perspective. Likewise, for other teams that are trying to not put the ball in a guy like Devin Duvernay's hands, who was successful as well, and they're kick, kicking for touchbacks as well. And so you just, you know, the NFL was trying intentionally to reduce these. I think my experience as a fan is that they're significantly reduced from a kick return perspective overall. Um, and it really does beg the question how much, even if you're better at it is as the value decreases and the rate of return diminishes over kind of how effective you are because of how few times you do it, is it really worth it for them? 
Yeah, it's kind of like a ten percent investment where you can only invest a hundred dollars. You, right. you, you can't can't make a lot of money on that, unfortunately. Uh, so you mentioned one very important part is is both sides of the you know kickoff and kick return uh, equation, but also punts. Uh, punts are, have become more directional. Uh, there's many fewer punts being returned. Uh, bigger legs may cause a few more punts to be returned sometimes. Uh, but but other factors make it less likely uh, to be returned and more likely to end in a fair catch. The Ravens uh, this year, we actually had to f- do a little bit of looking around. They allowed only 149 total, total punt return yards, 6.8 per play, which is terrific, by the way. That's one of the leading numbers, the NFL fifth highest. But there are only 22 punts returned against the Ravens the entire season. And there were only, let's see, they had 69%, I believe, kickoffs that ended up Going into the uh, that were uh, touchbacks, yeah, 69.8, so almost 70%. So, right there, the context is down so far. And you're right about it. It's just, it, it, it becomes a question of how often do the Ravens really want to try for the higher variance, probably higher expected value uh, result? It better be both, by the way. Higher, higher, higher uh, variance better mean higher expected value, or you just wouldn't do it. Um, you, you, so, you, so if if they can pooch with Tucker and get it to the to the one or two yard line, and then try a return from there, and you know go for the the, the multiple payoffs of a penalty, a fumble, a um, uh, you know a short return that doesn't get to the twenty five, all those things have value. Also, the downside is that you might get somebody injured on the play. Yeah, and you know, even when you're looking at that, you know, from twenty five yards back, it's nice. You're right. If you're inside the fifteen, if you're inside the ten, if you're inside the five. All those are optimal positions. I think those are pretty rare outcomes in the process of all that. Usually, even if you're pooching it and you're covering really effectively, even for teams that probably aren't the better special teams returns teams, they're still probably, except from time to time, getting somewhere between the 18 and the 22. And mm-hmm. so if you're talking about set like you know three to seven yards of field position in the scheme of things, for a roster spot um, or for development or for another area that the team might want to be focused on. Um, it really does beg the question of, you know, how much value are the Ravens really getting out of it? Even though there is value, not to say there's no value in special teams, but are they getting the value that they're investing in the roster for it? Yeah, I completely agree. And and I, a lot of the Ravens special teams value, of course, comes directly from Justin Tucker in terms of his kicking. What you have to do to get that is not, you don't have to, take extraordinary measures to get there other than have, you know, a good long snapper, a good holder, but you don't need to, to carve out additional roster spots that would otherwise go to offense or defense to make that unit work. So the, it's, it, that is really the big question is, can you afford to have pure special teams players on the roster or does everyone need to be able to contribute on offense or defense? You still have a wolf pack, so they're out. But then your other 50 guys, do they have to be 25 and 25 offense and defense, or do they have to be each be able to contribute on one side of the ball or the other? And I think I, I think special teams should be de-emphasized a bit. You know, Christian Welsh is a guy that I don't have not thought the last few years should have been on the active initial roster. Um, and a guy that I think could have been floating between the practice squad and other places, obviously not getting meaningful stabs in middle linebacker, even when injuries pop up, that's the only time we're seeing him on the field. And then within a, within the next drive, they figured out how they want to replace him and he's right back off the field. Um, and, you know, I know we'll talk about this later, you know, when we talk a little bit about some of the returns and the coverage, but he's also not giving you eye popping statistics in terms of where his results are on special teams. Now, Granted, a lot of special teams is a collective unit. There's a reason it's called special teams. It's a collective unit staying disciplined, everybody knowing their role and everybody kind of participating in that. And so it can be hard to evaluate guys, especially in the middle areas of those kick returns that are likely not, they're not the gunners per se, but still are very important part of what that special teams looks like. But, you know, what, what is, 10 more weeks of Shamar Bridges on the roster look like for this Ravens team and how might that pay off um, when the Ravens had no wide receivers that were kind of healthy or developed or ready when they were at the end of the season this year. Or David Ajabo say, or, or Charlie Kolar, you know, I, I, Charlie Kolar would have been, he had another tight end in a very deep group, but still, I, I, you know, David Ajabo 
similar situation, but but that fifth outside linebacker can help your pass rush a lot if he's uh, if he's a good one. And the Ravens really had a vested interest, I'd say, in both those players. You know, getting them to fail forward into twenty twenty three, get on the field, find out some things that didn't work at a minimum. And both of them had their moments. Ajabo had a sack fumble, and Kolar had a few catches in that last game. And you know, it, basically, I think they both succeeded about as much as you can within the context of their of their play in two thousand twenty two. But wouldn't it have been nice if that context could have been a little larger because? You didn't read it. Really need as many snaps from Welch or Delshawn Phillips. Is the guy actually ended up playing just about every special team snap, so he ended up being a bigger deal. But but he, he's a he's a common guy that people point to as being another guy you don't need. But there there are others. Um, the, Nick Boyle, you know, was on the team a, up for a long time, and some of that was special teams related. So um, you know, there there are other players that that obviously could have taken a seat, so you could. have you had some of these other guys who play an important offense or defensive position available. Right. Do you get so you get two potential types of value there, right? The one you're talking about is game day actives, mm-hmm. guys on the roster. And you look at guys that the Ravens have lost off the practice squad to other teams and does losing, you know, Tyler Beatty, maybe it's no big deal, right? And you know, he had one good play for Denver and like let's not go crazy. Um but maybe he's a guy you want on the roster next year. And if you're looking at, for whatever reason, trading Gus Edwards because there's some value out there for him, given his gap number and the cap space that you want to save, you're a little less able to do that. You lost, you know, you lost your seventh round pick essentially because you were trying to carry two special teamers um, that were going to be fully active every week. Um, and so, it, it, you know, my take on it would be to carry those project players, to give them opportunities, to force other teams to try and account for who those guys are going to be and what the Ravens might try and do with them. Because you're essentially giving an advantage now. You've got the Wolfpack. You've got two full-time special teamers. You've got five guys of your, what, active 46 on game day. Five of them are guys that you don't have to game plan for. I mean, you're game planning at special teams, but you don't have to game plan for Um I'd rather have those guys be accounted for when other teams are trying to figure out how they're going to attack the Ravens. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point about the difference between game day activations and roster spots. And with today's NFL and the I believe it's now three activations per year from the from the practice squad, you could alternatively look at your special teams unit as being much deeper than the people you have on the roster and just say, look, we got 23 guys who can play, play special teams between the guys we have on the roster who, you know, we may have 17 of, and then six other guys we have on the practice squad who we're going to call up on an as needed basis. And when those six guys are done with their activations, we may elevate them or we may get other guys because it's just not that hard to find them. And I, I'm being a little bit cavalier about this, but I think you have to be a little bit cavalier because it's a highly specialized role. It helps to have a few good players. It really helps to have an overall good unit. I know that's true. I know Harbaugh really believes it. I just don't think it has quite the value that he's um, applied to it or or that the, the, that the coaches in general, have, the organization in general has applied to it. Well, a guy that I think of is a guy like Worley who, you know, as you just kind of think back to some of the games and some of the impact moments that were really good plays from special teamers, he was one of them. <laughs> so you don't need it to be, it's not all it doesn't always have to be these guys and these guys and it's not like we're developing it, it'd be one thing if this was like Ross instead of Welsh, where there was a development track for him that was thinking about being able to trade Queen in the future or thinking about what you were gonna do with his fifth fifth year option down the road because you were developing him as a player. Welsh and Phillips have no meaningful future in the NFL outside of special teams. Mm-hmm. And it's just how how long are you willing to ride that train? Yeah. That's a, a great point. And, and you know, it's it, their their situation is different from Harrison and Stone, who are players we'll talk about later in, in, in a very different context, a very different meaning, one that's really worked for the Ravens in the past. But how about if we start going through these units one at a time? Because I think, you know, we're, we've already beaten kind of the the uh, the, the general uh, question here, an awful lot here. But the field goal and extra point unit is the first. And I, I've largely gone to football outsiders for the aggregation of value on this because I know how football outsiders system works. They basically, any kick that Justin Tucker attempts, um, any with extra point or field goal, 
is compared to the league average over the last three years of kicks made from that distance. Okay. And so it's distance adjusted. So Justin Cucker had a terrible overall, well, terrible for him, 86%. Oh my God, it was just awful, wasn't it? Um, percent field goal success rate this year. It was down, but all his all his misses were long range. Three three kicks blocked from 50, 55, and 61 yards. Three other misses from 48, 56, and 67 yards. Uh, it really was not a bad season at all when you consider the context. So you look at the 86% make rate and, you know, it's middle of the pack in the whole NFL. But then when you look at uh, relative to expectation on the distance of those kicks, only the LA Rams were better. So this is another year. Tucker should have made another Pro Bowl here, of course. Uh, did he make it this year or did he not? I don't think he made the Pro Bowl, but he was second team all pro. Okay. That, that, that's that's so weird to me how mm-hmm. how all like Roquan Smith got his first Pro Bowl this year, but his third all pro team naming. Like it's like how is that possible? Yeah, that's that's very weird. And I guess it is a different set of voters there, but uh a uh, little more respect for the all pro designation, of course. Especially after the, the Tyler Huntley thing is just weird. But it's very weird. You know, there is a young lady who lives in the Baltimore area, I believe, Pat Hirsch. And I've had her on the show here before, but she's one of the people who retweets Pro Bowl voting a lot. And the Ravens' uh, participation in Pro Bowl voting is is very good. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, if the, the history of baseball has an incident like this. The 1957 Reds stuffed the ballot box in the All-Star voting. Now, nobody cares about the All-Star voting, of course. Nobody really cares about the All-Star game. People cared more about it then than they care about it now. Now, really, particularly after that tie game a few years ago, people just can't stand the thing. Um, But in, in 1957, the Reds had seven of the eight positions elected with Cincinnati Reds for a team that finished somewhere in the middle of the National League in terms of, of, uh, of who they were. So they immediately after that, or shortly after that, the, the major leagues took over the voting instead of having uh, ballots printed wherever and they could be put in newspapers and things like that. I forget what the procedure was that the Reds exploited to get all their players elected, but uh, but they were you know it was popularized by someone there. Anyway, MLB took it over and they came up with those Chad punch ballots that we're all familiar with from the days of my youth. Actually, we're not all familiar, but the people my age are familiar, and uh, and and the fun we had you know filling those things out. But uh, whatever, for whatever reason, the Ravens have done a remarkable job of getting their own people elected. And when it comes to alternates, that's where a lot of that kind of stuff can really kick in is, you know, the the player voting kind of dribbles out after a few spots and there's not too much differentiation. But the fan voting can be very heavily in favor of, you know, a player like like a uh, like a Tyler Huntley, for example. Well, and it's so convoluted that most people were upset that Huntley was elected. They were like, "What? But what about Trevor Lawrence? And what about Justin Herbert?" And it's like, "You're we're so far down the line here. Everybody that you probably were going to think of and say are already have already been considered and either declined to do it or are, are the right. guys that are in because Lawrence is in." And there were it wasn't just like Joe Schmo on Twitter tweeting out, "Oh my gosh!" But what about Trevor Lawrence? It was like legitimate reporters. Saying, but what about Trevor Lawrence? Because it's so hard to keep up with. So it's just uh, the Pro Bowl is a peculiar, peculiar thing. And I saw a list of like what the Ravens players are doing at the Pro Bowl this weekend in Vegas. I don't know if you've seen like which activities the players are participating in. Oh, no, in. please tell me. But Justin Tucker's is the best because he's participating in tic-tac-toe on Sunday. Um, tic-tac-toe? Tic-tac-toe. Kicking tic-tac-toe? I, I hope. It's, it's, it's got to be some kind of twist to it. I, I, uh... I, I hope. <laughs> There's dodgeball. I Andrews and Humble, dodgeball. That's all we're playing dodgeball on Friday. Now we're talking. Um, so it's just you know, and and I think that stuff is fun. I think skills challenges mm-hmm. and fun stuff. I, I like that part of it, but it's also just like name the Pro Bowl players, invite other people, but just don't call them Pro Bowlers. Your Pro Bowlers are your first set of guys, and everyone else there is guys that are there to fill out and have fun. That's that's a good point. So all your all the players who get there by the initial vote, initial selection process are pro bowlers and and everybody else. And that can include players who are in the championship games and, you know, aren't aren't available for for that. All right. Outstanding. So a couple of things about the field goal and extra point unit now that we get back out of that rabbit hole for a second. 
Uh, Stout, a, a pretty good holder as a rookie, I thought. The jury still remains out after 44 attempts at not a great percentage. But on the other hand, you know, we've already addressed the fact that the Ravens are still number two in the league relative to expectation. I, I think there is a, a decent body of evidence that the Ravens haven't taken a big step back with Stout as a holder in this year. Yeah, well, I mean, the 67-yard miss was almost a make. It looked like it was three or four yards short in the Jacksonville game. Didn't one of the other misses hit an upright? Am I remembering that correctly? Um, Could have been. 48, 56, or 60. I think I think from 56, he might have dinged an upright. Yeah, there was, or there was one. I, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But, you know, all in all, there was not very much from Tucker's game that from watching him kick. And if you take the body of work of, how accurate Tucker is on the remaining kicks that he made. It wasn't like we saw a steep departure from the typical accuracy that they were seeing from Tucker. Most of the time, I mean, the field goal unit or the field goal goalpost could be, I don't know, 10 feet in on each side. And I think <laughs> Tucker's percentage would not dip terribly, terribly less than what we've seen. He's just, he's just remarkably accurate. And I don't think that we saw kind of, any deviation from that it would be fascinating to have a metric from the league of one how much farther kicks go when they go through the uprates and that should be easy to project from like a mathematical just like video yeah. tracking thing and then two how far they are from the middle point of the uprates and they have both of those things oh do they well yeah. they should make them more publicly available yeah you're you're, you're right but the, but the, i saw one quoted for justin tucker saying if that if the goal post was like a yard and a half wide from a 50 yard field goal or whatever he still would have made it so you probably right. saw that one but the the other one is and and so the i know they track the ball on the on the next gen stats that's what's one of the things they're tracking so that would they would have it for um, and the other one was how far the kick would have been good for again i think the next gen stats would do it if you have a z coordinates i know they have an x and a y i don't know if they have a z in what they do i think in in the big data bowl stuff i've seen i don't remember a z component uh z coordinate to that well that should not be terribly difficult to do and then i mean that would be that would be the ultimate measure right for a kicker and especially i mean even with some of the like the distance like if they're able to track just the x y trajectory should matter right like to be able to know whether or not the, the punts that were blocked here or because Tucker was clearly trying to use trajectory to get the kicks to go farther um, and knowing where he was kind of on that axis of those kicks would be a lot more informative. But, you know, as I was prepping for this special teams podcast, the data, you know, part of why special teams is probably not as important is because the data also isn't out there either. There you go. It is a little bit harder to find. We, we even had trouble finding the number of punts that were actually returned against the Ravens this year. And you have to back into it. There's no, there's no place that says 22 returns. We found 149 total yards, which actually I thought would be the hard thing to find and 22 kicks returned. So let's move on to kick coverage, kickoff coverage. Now we start with a 69.8% kickoff rate uh, that, that, that ended up in touchbacks. Uh, that was only ninth in the NFL, by the way. So the Ravens are trying to pooch. And it's certainly not a bad measure for your kicker if your average kickoff distance is shorter, because usually that's what it means. You've got to really take it within context. Um, and, and if you think about it, game situation has a huge impact on whether or not Justin Tucker is going to want to kick it through the end zone. So you got two minutes and two seconds left in a game, and the Ravens want the two seconds gone. Well, then Tucker's going to going to kick it off squibified so that the other team is forced to return it, and they you know cover for their lives and hope for the best. But if they if they uh, uh, you know are in a different situation in the game where basically you know the, a big lead is a good thing, you're much better off giving the giving the ball to the other team on the 25 yard line, just saying, hey, play it out normal. You, it's a little bit better than your expected value was on that kick, but but uh, you know we're 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 not going to make it easy for you. Yeah, no, I, you know, situationally, some of this stuff is challenging. I would say anecdotally, my feeling was the Ravens kick coverage was not as strong this year. Um, I think that that the eye test or my gut or my feeling of, of, of what we saw from them wasn't as sharp. And given that you had a couple guys that were solo exclusive special teamers um, that were part of this group, and for the most part, I guess other than Stevens, there weren't health issues that were really tied to any of these guys going down. Um, 
you'd want to see a better performance if that's the kind of investment that you're making like we were talking about at the top of the show. Yeah, you, you did have some other guys sit as game day inactives from the list, but the, the, the primary core guys, just a, we'll name them for kick coverage because it's Harrison, Hill, Hamilton, which by the way, that might need to change, Stevens, uh, Pepe Williams, and he was not active for all the games, and then Welch, Stone, and Seymour. And basically all of those guys are active for every game with the exception of Pepe and Stevens. Uh, who who were out a couple games, and you know that's that's fine. They're, the 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 football outsiders ranked them fifteenth in the NFL. They were still a plus unit in terms of uh, were they better or worse in expectation. They were a little bit better, uh, but it was their worst special teams unit. It was uh, as as far as they say. And and I have not um, dug in any deeper than that. But they do have a fairly significant investment in that. And if you're talking about 30% of the Ravens' total kickoffs, how many how many total plays is that? So they had, let me just see if I can figure this out. They kicked the ball off a total of 86 times, and 60 of them were touchbacks. So there's 26 plays where they actually have to cover. And only 22 punts they actually have to cover. That's one and a half and one and a third, respectively, per game of kicks they have to cover. Does that seem like the kind of context that should dictate several roster spots? And unless you're getting a better performance, I think no, right? You know, that, and, and the alternate is here, you know, 15th is not great for a unit that is as well regarded historically as the Ravens is as special teams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like by the eye test, they weren't as good as they've historically been. I don't feel like it hurt the Ravens at all that they were less than they've been historically from that special teams perspective. That, and we'll talk about punts. I think there were a few times where it felt like there should have been a, a couple better punts that, and those I think are the spots where you can like, that's the place where there's the most potential leverage. Yes. And a lot of that is I think strictly not exclusively, but very much on the kicker and not on the kick coverage um, in those situations. Cause those are when you're down in like inside the seven with the kick and is it going into the end zone? And now you're talking about 13 to 17 yards of field position and pinning the other team versus three to seven yards of field position on these kickoffs. Yeah, I I would agree entirely on that. I think we, let's come back to that. Let's stick a pin in that till we come back for punts here and, and talk about kickoff returns a little bit first. So Duvernay returned one in the in the very first home game against Miami. Um, that was one of still of the few touchdown returns on a kickoff in the NFL this season. Hill had a big return, and I'm trying to remember if it was in the wild card game or in week 18. Trying to I, think it was week, I think it was week 18. Okay, and that got him in it. It got him in the position where they should have scored, and they didn't convert into a field goal. They either lost the ball or had to punt or whatever it was. Um, they were sixth in the NFL in the Devoa rankings on kickoff returns, so they're still getting good expected yardage on the returns they make. Uh, they have, you know, since they have a play breaking return man, and you you mentioned this is the other teams are probably giving them a few more touchbacks, which is probably also a good thing. I mean, that for, if if you're talking about does your return man have to be good? That's a good reason why you get a few more touchbacks out of it. You could you you could make the claim that no, we needed to have Duvernay, but and then somebody else who's really a special teams nerd is going to say, oh no, we didn't just need Duvernay. We needed everybody in front of Duvernay to block those kicks up to make the other team afraid and and give us a few extra touchbacks, which each gained us two yards. You know, so I I I have a hard time following that meandering argument all the way through. Yeah, or finding well, it and- compelling. It'll be interesting to see whether or not there becomes some point where how valuable that field position is lost on some of these touchback kicks that that teams are like, especially with a guy like Duvernay. So like you're looking at a guy who's going to have a cap number between four and five million dollars next year. Right. Um, and if that's going to be his primary usage and, you know, the, just just the way we've seen him, his primary usage is going to be as a kick returner. And he has the value to return kickoffs for touchdowns like we saw in week one. Are you willing to sacrifice six or seven yards from the 25 on the regular for two or three more touchdowns or a 60 or 70 yard return, which will automatically translate into points as a trade off for that, depending on the type of offense that you want to run? Let me, let me say, I'm also not willing to sacrifice two yards per target on 60 targets or one yard per target on 60 targets for that matter for having an ace return man. I, I'm, I'm just not willing to do it. And it may be that somebody might be able to demonstrate to me that that's the right call. I don't think so, though, because 
if we're talking about 25 or 30 returns, that he'd have to be two yards per return better. And, you know, you see how tight those groupings are on special teams. I just don't I don't think that's likely true. And the other um, thing is that if the Ravens are as good at evaluating this stuff as it seems like they are, and, and that's actually a credit to them, the Ravens are good at evaluating what they need from special teams guys, then not that Duvernay is replaceable, but Duvernay is replaceable, right? You know, that you can go out and find a guy that's going to give you 85% of what Duvernay gave you. And if you can't find terms on a contract that work for him, that $5 million price tag, unless you're going to use him like an actual wide receiver next year, in which case I'm more than happy to have him on the team as a wide receiver, use him that way, happens to be the guy that also returns kicks and punts. Um, but, you know, you've got to find that balance between how you use all those guys. Kylan Clay is a name I remember from the past. Yes. And he he led the, I think he led the entire NFL, but he certainly led the AFC in punt return average one year with the Ravens and you know, forgotten, obviously. Uh, but a guy who who you know he, he off the scrap heap you know you you can have him uh, if you want him if you're if you have Jerry Rosberg or you have Horton and you and you your special teams room is is strong in terms of the fundamentals and whatnot you should be able to get it out of a lot of people. Um, now, admittedly, Jacoby Jones was great and he really he did a lot of things for the Ravens, but he was also he gave the Ravens a little bit of receiving value too. Did did he have any important catches? Yeah, I can't remember specifically. I, I if there were any, maybe in a three or four week span that he had had a couple of good catches. But what, whatever, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, does it? So, uh, so it, we have the kick coverage players we talked about, and we gave you the, the the list. Those guys are pretty much all on the kickoff return team as well. But the three additional big ads are Duvernay, which we already talked about, Ricard, who that's the that's the special teams unit he primarily plays on, and he plays that wedge position, although not allowed to have a wedge anymore, but it's a blocking position in terms of the return. He's been very good. And the other guy, they've used a tight end in that same uh, vicinity. And it, it was Boyle sometimes and likely sometimes this last year. So hopefully whatever they have in mind for had in mind for Boyle likely is now ready to take that rollover or Kolar or somebody else's. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like there are going to be some, you know, roster spots up for grab. It does it's kind of ironic that we're having this conversation this year for going into next year with a low number of draft picks and Mm -hmm. a low amount of cap space is probably pretty likely the Ravens are going to carry a couple of special teams only guys, but I think more not because of their, you know, listening to this podcast and being like, these guys are wrong, but more just because I think ultimately there aren't just going to be the spots on the, they're not going to, you know, there aren't 10 draft picks that they're going to have to carry on the roster this upcoming year. I mean, that's true, but th- then they could get back to their UDFA re- roots and find the extra linebacker that's out there and the extra, you know, if you, you want to replace Ricard in a year and maybe the Ravens do, then find that next defensive lineman who you can turn into a fullback. Hold him on your practice squad for a year. You know, if you want to find that two-way offensive and defensive lineman, you can do that. You know, you just you have more uh, options if you're not tied to having roster spots tied up in special teams. All right. So, you know, this is one of the things that surprised me was we saw Jordan Stout do a number of the kickoffs during the preseason. He had that straight ahead style that was kind of, I think, learning to pooch, I would describe it as. He was trying to come up with a very high kicking style. It appeared to see if he if the Ravens could get some pooch value out of it. Didn't end up kicking off during the regular season. Surprised at all? Not at all. If you're gonna if you're gonna commit that kind of cap number to Justin Tucker, uh, he's kicking off for me. All right, all right. So the leg weariness and all the risk of tackling and all that goes along with being the being the last line of defense. That's I okay. mean, the loss of the punter would be just as potentially catastrophic to the team. Also, I can't I can't no. really remember the last <laughs> time a kicker actually got hurt. They they get the heck out of the way. <laughs> they crawl on the guy's back and and whatnot. You're right. They they don't. Take a lot of shots. Um, all right. So anyway, we'll move on. Punt returns. Duvernay, uh, another excellent season, 11.9 yards per return. Uh, it actually dropped his career average to 13.0 now in three years. So, you know, if, you, if you're looking for why sh- will Duvernay get interest as a um, free agent after 2023, this is a portion of the value. I think, you know, I think the other teams maybe also can see some of the I don't want to say Cordero Patterson, but but he might be a, a reasonable example of a guy who can play wide receiver or come in and play in the backfield. But but he certainly hasn't done a whole lot of that. Um, but but I, 
it, it's easy to see why some other team might well have interest after this year. Yeah, no, or, or I, I mean, even potentially less than that, if the Ravens are willing to take, you know, a lower draft pick and they don't love his cap number coming into this year and they need that money to sign Lamar or do whatever else they're trying to accomplish. Um, I think Duvernay is one of the interesting players on the roster headed into this offseason because the all pro designation that he got last year really increased his cap value without without that designation i think his cap hit would be like half of what it is um and certainly not even within question about whether he'd be on the roster or not right no i think i think you're right there there was certainly a question coming into year three even if there if there would even be a spot for him but uh but yeah he's, he he now seems to have solidified probably a place in the nfl at least for a second contract somewhere um, and that, uh, that's good. Prochet didn't think much of what he did once he got in there. Um, there are obviously a lot of problems with James Prochet's season. We don't want to beat on the guy too much, but didn't really add anything as a punt returner. Yeah. Talk about yeah. Prochet and Duvernay in combination are the perfect example though, where not only did you have these guys on the roster that probably could have done other things if you isolated them and allowed them to, you just never let them do it. And so it'll be very interesting to see if both these guys are on the roster next year and they are kind of the designated kick returner, punt returners and kick returner, um, you know, whether or not they're given an opportunity, like are the Ravens protecting Duvernay in particular in some way because they view him as more valuable as a kick returner. Uh, it's impossible <laughs> to say whether that's the reason, but it's just, it's at times hard to fathom where Devin Duvernay went from the game plan um, and, and why he vanished. And then James Perche, likewise, just, sporadically used poorly used situationally like not optimal in all those ways and like feels like he's just a head case now at this point in kind of all facets of the game yeah i think the usually the words you use there i i think are too kind to james Prochet in terms of letting him off for what was pretty much a cursed season he he did, he did a lot of things wrong in his first year you know he had a couple pick sixes on balls that were intended for him where i think it was on the quarterback Okay, and so only three total targets, two of them pick sixes against the Steelers. So that's not good. This this last year, you know, stepping out of bounds, drops, all, all the other things that, that happened to James Prochet in his very few snaps on offense uh, were bad. Had a chance to turn it around on that last play of the year where we were sitting together for. Boy, would it have been nice for him to come up with that, and it would have redeemed everything about the season. All right. So 12th in the league, the, the the Football Outsiders ranks the punt return team still a plus and uh, just not a whole lot of opportunities to, to return punts uh, for the Ravens. Let's talk about punt coverage, where they are to the 10th best unit by Football Outsiders. They do not have a lot of punts returned, period. So we mentioned um, there are only 22 punts returned against the Ravens for 149 yards. Uh, they returned punts for a total of 214 yards. There's not a lot in either direction of, of total yards involved. The uh, you break that down per game, you know, 149 yards. You're giving up, you know, eight yards a game uh, to, to, on, on punt returns. Uh, 6.8 yards per return. Um, that's only the tenth best outfit by Football Outsiders. Now, the other half of that is where's the punter putting the ball? Is he allowing a lot of short, fair catches, short out of bound kicks? And that's where I think we got to look at Jordan Stout a little bit critically. He had an in-20 rate of 45.6%, which is the fourth best in the league. And you mentioned something interesting to me. I don't want to take your point away. Go ahead and, and take it off from there. Um, talking about kind of the, the touchbacks or about kind of the history of Jordan Stout? In, in 20 versus in 10. Um, yeah. So in 20, uh, I, I don't think I'm following you here. So in, in 20, he was the fourth best in the league with 45.6% in 20. The average in the league was 37%. Oh. But yeah. in, in, in college, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it's I found this really staggeringly difficult when I was doing the research on this because Jordan Stout is a guy that on performance, again, and this is kind of anecdotally watching the game, like those feelings that you're left with that he was leaving yards on the field. But then when you go back and you look at his numbers, you know, at least from the ones that are regularly logged on statistical sites, they look pretty good. His inside 20 numbers were pretty good. The touchbacks were a smidge higher for the number of punts that he had. Like that 12% touchback rate is higher than you might want to see. But you that that could be pretty easily fixed. But the question then is, where is he 
inside the 20, because I feel like inside the 20 is no longer a valuable metric, right? Like a kick that ends at the, at the 19 versus a kick that ends up as a touchback are equally the same. Right. And so you're not getting a whole lot of value out of that. It's once you get inside the 10 and really inside the seven that now you're gaining value from your punter overall. And I would say that Jordan Stout did not strike me as a guy that was getting the ball down inside the 10 um, and not because of his kick coverage unit and not because of anything that was, else was happening on special teams and really just, just because of him and his leg. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, he does not have the full uh, bag of golf clubs that, uh, that uh, Cook had. You know, in, in terms of and, and it, I think it took Cook time to develop that as well. He had a kind of a big leg coming into the league and he developed a bunch of different directional and kicks that had various spins and uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, top spin and, 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 and backspin and whatnot that, that, that he could deliver. One of the things I always love to see is punters on the sideline, the way they can almost dribble a football like a basketball. You know, they, they know exactly how that punt hits the turf and it comes back up to them a certain way. There isn't any other position in the NFL, by the way. There's no other group of players that that uniformly can do that. But punters, uh, probably to a lesser degree kickers, but punters really do that all the time. They got a lot of free time on their hands, too, I realize. But it is, uh, it's it's interesting that they're, they're so good at that. You mentioned the touchbacks. He had seven touchbacks on the year. Yeah, 12.3% rate. It was one of the worst rates in the league, the third highest in, in the entire National Football League. But it's seven touchbacks. So what? You know, and and you know, then you're talking about the difference between a kick that you you could have re-optimized to maybe drop it at the 12-yard line or the 10-yard line, and instead you lost eight or 10 yards in net punt average by kicking in the end zone. Well, and it didn't feel like there were a lot. You you you, rem- you know everybody remembers the plays where the ball is bouncing and there's a guy running down there and he's jumping mm-hmm. out at the one yard line and he just misses the tap back right or he just gets the tap back and they get it at the one of the two instead of the twenty. Those are super valuable plays and really like high leverage in terms of kind of the outcome for the game. Um, so you know it, it's it it's hard to differentiate that without kind of going back and watching each individual one of those touchbacks and saying, oh, okay, you know this was. This was one that should have been closer or, you know, this was a good kick. It just, you know, for whatever reason, it was just past the coverage or just whatever. Um, And there are a lot of factors. But, you know, Sam Cook in his career, I kind of looked at this. He only had five seasons where he had seven or more touchbacks over the course of his entire career. So and in his rookie year, he only had three touchbacks. Now, obviously, these aren't apples to apples. It's impossible to account for any of these kind of things. Um, But. You know, if Stout is continually in the seven plus range for touchbacks, given the number of kicks that he had um, for his career, um, that will not be a great look. Only one, of, only one of those years, Sam Cook actually tied the percentage that as, that Jordan Stout had this year on touchback percentage. Wow. And everything else was less than that, even on the years where he had more touchbacks. So there were a lot more punts that were happening for those teams. Um, so this was this would have been the worst year that Sam Cook had in terms of a touchback percentage that Jordan Stout had this year. Did did Cook in his career have a general pattern of improvement? You said he only had three as a rookie, so it might have been harder to see it. But if you looked at it, it would be a generally downward sloping line where he got a little bit better with age. Um, probably. So if you look at the first half of his career versus the second half of his career, I think that would probably be the case. So if you look from, I'm trying to get Pro Football Reference to do this, but e- either way, I, his rookie year was really good. Sam Cook had a, a phenomenal rookie year overall, and then it declined after that. He his touchback percentage in the next few years were like eleven and a half and ten point seven. The next two years it was six point eight and four point nine. The year after that is when it jumped to twelve point three. So there's there's really no kind of regression line here to look at. Okay, so Cook had a fair number of punts also blocked in his career, and Stout avoided that in his first year. Now, admittedly, that's the whole unit. It's not just the punter, but it is nice to have a punter who who doesn't get punts blocked. Uh, it uh, The net punt average uh, was only the 24th best in the entire NFL at 40.1 yards, but they're still rated as the 10th best unit by football outsiders. So I think the claim of special teams value is best placed here. You mentioned higher leverage, but if you want to really look at how good is your how good are your coverage players, how good are your tacklers, if they're good on punts, they might be they might be able to help you. There might be actually more on the line here uh with your coverage unit than there is on, on kickoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And there, you know, the other thing I would say about this is that as as I kind of looked into it, there's opportunity for growth. So if you look at 
the guy who was the all pro punter this year, um, first team all pro punter, which was Tommy Townsend, his rookie year looked remarkably similar to Jordan South's. And again, looking at Cook's numbers, like there's probably a lot of variance in punters' numbers from year to year, but um, similar numbers overall, you know, 38 less than 38.5% inside the 20, which was lower, uh, or which was, which was, um, lower than Jordan Stouts, a little bit less, 11.5% on the touchbacks, 40, 40.4 on the net yards per punt. So, you know, I got, there's room to become the best in the league with the baseline that Jordan Stout had from here. So it's, you know, in some ways it's, it's easy to say, Hey, he was a fourth round pick. The Ravens thought he was the best punter in the draft. We want a better performance from him. Alternately at the same time, you can say, Hey, he was a rookie and this is the NFL and there's plenty of time for him to improve. Right. Yeah, there's is, you know, one thing that's true of a punt play or of a kickoff is it's the first play of a team's drive, your opponent's drive. OK, or, or your own, for that matter. Those plays, by definition, have far less leverage than any third down, for example. So if I have to make a choice between having some value third down specialist or value passing down specialist versus one extra special teamer. Give me column A every time. Agreed. All right. All right. Interesting thing came up and this was talking to Aaron shots about this was, was really pretty cool early in the year, but uh, the, the Ravens had the worst weather of all NFL teams kind of surprises me a little bit. I mean, they had some cold weather here, certainly, but, but it's, you know, you figure Green Bay, well, Green Bay had, was only the second worst weather in the entire National Football League. And, you know, other teams, New England, all the Buffalo, all the other teams that play in, you know, really cold, crappy places to play in December, you'd figure would, would have worse weather. Well, no, the Baltimore, the worst. There was a fair amount of rain this year. A lot of uh, rain. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, think that was it. The Atlanta game was very cold. That was the coldest ever. No, I, I don't even know if we've had snow of any accumulation here this entire winter. I can't remember it if we have. I've had even a you know a half an inch. I don't get out of the house too much, but, yeah, that, <laughs> but anyway. there's no there's no snow out here either, Ken. Yeah, that's that's kind of my figure. He's living down there in Southern California, Venice, right? Yeah, in Venice. <laughs> yes, we're uh, we're 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 feeling very sorry for you there. Uh, but but anyway, if you look at the the weather numbers, it's interesting and not surprising. But the weather is dominated by dome dome teams. Is that you you, you see most of the top teams. Um, uh, in, in terms of low weather impact, our dome teams. And there was one exception to it, like one of the top eight or nine teams that that was not a dome team. But uh, but anyway, kind of interesting to, to look at that. And an important kind of a correction to make for kickers like Tucker, who have to kick outside in some, some wind and some rain, and uh, punters who may have more difficulty as well in terms of punting into that wind. So, uh, the Ravens, in terms of the football outsiders ranking, we're probably uh, got some offset for that. Although in these individual numbers, it doesn't show. Okay, so their weather is a different factor that gets added together to the total. So even without the imp- with the effect of weather not included, the Ravens were ahead of the game in all five categories, meaning they're above average in all five categories. Well, let's talk about 2023 for a second. And my my first question is to you, is there anybody do you th- that you can think of on the roster that their combination of what they do on offense and special teams doesn't really make them a value? Beyond guys like Welsh and Phillips that we've already well, talked about? You did mention Welsh. Phillips, pretty good special teams player. So at least, you know, he's got that going in his direction. The, uh, Tylon Wallace did not have a particularly good special teams year. Uh, entering year three, really hasn't shown anything as a receiver. Uh, PFF has them for three missed tackles, one penalty, and one tackle on special teams. It's not a good set of numbers there. I guess Geno Stone would be the other guy that, because he's kind of that X factor as safety that does from time to time get looks or is the first safety in when the Ravens needed another safety and is a critical part of their special teams. But he's that dual defense and special teamer, but I think he's valuable and his valuable enough that his roster spot is more than safe for next year. Oh yeah. I, I, I would, I would sure for shield for sure feel that he's also the special teams captain. So mm-hmm. you know, if, they, if they're going to change that, they got to find the new guy and you know, maybe it's somebody like Phillips or whatever, or Harrison might be a reasonable choice, but, uh, but he's, he's a, he's a good one. 
whoever plays that role, I want them to play it like Anthony Levine did. I want them to be a field general and know when you got 10 guys lining up, you know you're 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 doing the appropriate thing. You're either running out the clock or you're calling timeout or you're not taking a penalty or you are taking a penalty as needed in order to to to, to help you get an advantage. I want the guy also to see when the opponent might have the wrong number of of players on the field and know that he can use that opportunity to run a fake. Call it himself if he needs to. You're taking a big chance probably with Harbaugh if you do that, but still, uh, I, I you know you you got to look at that. So. Uh, the, I think the one, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I think one of the corners might be at risk that you know, and not necessarily for poor play, but just for volume of corners that the Ravens may end up bringing into camp next year. So whether it's a guy like Worley or Seymour, who at times seem to have roles on special teams, if they're far enough down the depth chart, Jalen Armour Davis comes back, Ravens make some kind of signing, you know, at corner because they feel like they need a veteran, um, and they also draft a guy. The corner, they're they're not going to have added enough value, I think, on special teams to to be there. I think Pepe probably is going to last only for his value on defense and upside and and youth. Um, but I could see a couple of these other kind of practice squad rotating guys being guys that aren't here next year. Yeah, I, that's a possibility, and they'll again be able to play the roster shenanigans they want with Worley if they if they want to do it. They obviously like him. I mean, they liked him enough basically for a, for a to keep him around through transaction after transaction for exactly the need they had, that they might need a cornerback in December, and he, he's pretty good for that. Uh, and they came in and it didn't have a great game against Cincinnati. It was you know certainly an up-and-down game, but compared to what you otherwise might get on the street and what they did get on the street in 2021, pretty damn good. Another guy I, th- I, I think really needs to be off of special teams right now is Kyle Hamilton. Uh, too valuable defensively. At this point, and as the, as you know, an every down slot cornerback now, I think it's at a point where he, he really needs to be taken off special teams. I, I don't think there's any question. <laughs> okay. I think we'd all be pretty disappointed if Hamilton's still playing special teams next year. <laughs> yeah, we'd all be very disappointed, right? Um, it's interesting that the Wolf Pack, as they're now together, um, let's see, how old is Tucker right now? Because obviously, you, you, Nick Moore is a little shockingly is is thirty years old. Just turned. I think years old. Tucker is older than you would think he is. Um, he's thirty three. Okay, and he'll turn thirty four when in November. Okay, so a little bit older than you'd expect, but I, I'd still say that it's likely that they may play together until the first of Tucker or Moore retires. And Tucker could, I mean, Tucker might be kicking at 45 for all we know. Obviously, he's he's the best kicker of all time. It's by a wide margin at this point. So the only question is, if 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 all kickers follow a a very predictable path, and I don't even think that's necessarily been true, but they, you know, they they rise in their 20s to a certain peak at maybe 27, 28, and then they decline over a long period of time. Tucker's curve is so much higher than the typical player's curve that he may last well into his 40s and still be an effective kicker at that point. So I, I don't think it's a sure thing that that he'll be retired. And I, I have a hard time believing Justin Tucker will retire from football anytime before he is forced to, based on two things. One is an apparent love for the game. But number two is a very apparent love for the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all that. Performer background. I mean, yes. and, and you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm curious how much of the Ravens drafting of Tucker had to do with like knowing that he was a performer and like the pressures that come with any performance, right? Like, it, and like, you know, it's a lot easier to do it on a podcast, right? Because we don't have an audience. There's no pressure here around this. But to be a multilingual opera singer that is required to, to be performing in that in that way and judged around that, there's there like it does require a certain level of I, I, you know, moxie. Yeah. yeah, having it right, like it, it's hard to put your finger on that. Um, ESPN did a really good, and I'll have to try and dig it up. But ESPN did a really good article a couple years ago on why the Ravens did sign Tucker or the process that they went through with Tucker, and how I think it was Rosberg that went down and saw him kicking, brought him in, and basically they told Tucker, "You're being inconsistent on your plant foot, and if you get consistent with your plant foot, you're going to be the best kicker ever." Wow. Um, and they fixed it, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. That's that. That is absolutely fantastic. And and it was Rossberg, and that wasn't like Brown or somebody else who was involved there. Maybe it was. It doesn't matter. The, the 
if if folks want to go back, if you look through the old film study archives and find like a film study child's child child's Walker Justin Tucker, you'll find a a podcast where Childs came on and talked about Justin Tucker and that particular story. And it, it's he 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 wrote an article on it as well at that time. It was a big deal in the 2012 preseason. Of course, reporters are short on news topics <laughs> during the preseason, so the bar is fairly low. But but Childs did a wonderful job of explaining it. One of the things he told me was a performance angle. And he talked to Tucker's parents and he talked to Tucker's parents and he read about Tucker's parents being talked to, whichever it was. He might've actually talked to Tucker's parents and Tucker's parents said, well, yeah, he's, he's, he was in the fifth grade or something. And he, he did some, he, he, he sang the song Donka Shane by going around some uh, like auditorium. And, and I'm like, can you imagine the abuse a fifth grader would take for doing that? I mean, you know, there would, it would, people would be laughing and then, you know, but you had to, you have to be able to love it. You know, at that age, they had to know that this guy does not mind being in the spotlight just on the, the Royal Farms commercials he does and, you know, all the other stuff out there. I, I just, you know, he might, might or might not need the money. I mean, sure, we won't need the money, but, but, you know, it won't make a big difference in his lifestyle, but I think he probably loves the game. That's 30% of it. And he absolutely clearly loves the spotlight. And I'd say that's 70% of what's going to give him one of the longest careers in NFL history if it holds up from a value perspective. I think he could, he, you know, he's the kind of player who could play to almost 50 years old. Uh, and and we'll, we'll just see if that actually uh, plays out. Yeah, he's he's a fascinating, fascinating character in a lot of ways. I think ultimately he will outplay more also because of the salary cap rules Mm -hmm. and for the same reason that Moore is now on the Ravens. And I can't remember the prior long snapper. Yeah. Morgan Cox, who is in, I think Tennessee now it's, or was in Tennessee. I think when he left immediately, when he left immediately for Baltimore, just not worth the two or $300,000 more on the cap. And the Ravens weren't willing to pay that because it didn't give enough value, which is begs the question of, of kind of their approach on special teams and where they're trying to feel like mind value otherwise. But I, I think that'll be the thing that, that gets more um, from kind of the two of them potentially staying together long-term. A very legitimate question there. And, and, a, and a, a very good analogy between those two. Uh, <laughs> it's just very interesting. Delshawn Phillips, we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, he, he played special teams very effectively this year. If you believe PFF grading, he did have a fair, fair number of tackles as well. And he is a guy who only plays special teams. Now, it's not like Welch where there's at least a, a facade that he could be your, your fourth linebacker in uh, if you have some injuries or something goes wrong. Uh, Delshawn Phillips does not play defense. He, he played one snap defensively. He actually almost got a roughing the passer penalty when he did. He was in late on a on somebody else's sack, and uh, and that, could, that would have been a really bad look, by the way, if that had, if that had gone down that way. But he, you know, he's the type of player where maybe the Ravens have room for it, maybe they don't. But you really got to look at the context of special teams in total and say, well, it's really fifty plays a year that he has an impact on, and we could have somebody else who's has an impact on potentially a lot more if there's an injury yeah no it's it's an interesting you know it's an interesting proposition especially when you kind of factor in injuries so anyway there 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 are i think a couple of players here who have an interesting long-term future with the ravens that i think we're going to find out about pretty quickly uh geno stone is entering year four so they will probably determine if he is the new Anthony Levine stone probably will want to test the market. I would think after 23 to see if there's any interest in him as a safety. And there might be somebody else, you know, free safeties are hard to come by. Somebody may need a free safety. Somebody want to want him as a split safety. He certainly was pretty highly regarded coming out of Iowa. So it's not like he's an unknown at this point. PFF slapped the 53rd highest draft Great on him, and they had him as a second-round pick. Of course, the Ravens weren't fooled, took him in the seventh round. Neither was there any <laughs> other team that, that picked in between. But they, they got good value out of Geno Stone, even though they they lost him uh, and, and, and got him back. You can argue you know, that and Ben Mason, you know, Stone and Mason don't really have any draft value for the Ravens anymore. Um, but they, they, did, they knew what they had, at least with him. How do you feel about him as a guy who – signs a perpetual set of two-year contracts for uh, vet minimum plus a couple hundred thousand of signing bonus. I mean, it's it certainly seems with the designation as captain, he's on his way to be that guy. 
Um, there's probably not a market for him that's significantly more than that. You'd rather be at the place and the team that you're comfortable with. And I think it's it's certainly possible that he's here for for the long haul because of that. So if, if you're Geno Stone, maybe you need to look at that. And somebody else says, great, we need a free safety. Two years, three million. Do I take the extra million now or do I try and hold on to this Ravens situation where I could be in the league another six years and make it the vet minimum plus you know, maybe another million over that entire period. Well, he could always come back if that's, I mean, if someone does offer him that, he should, he should go and take it. You know, my advice to anybody that is looking for a new job should always take the money, go take the money. (laughs) Um, But if the Ravens were willing to sign him for six years and they miss out on the first two years of that, I don't see any reason why if they could get him for the next four years with the same price tag, they wouldn't bring him in. Right. The issue would be that they might find somebody else in the process and, and you know, that Malik Harrison all of a sudden becomes the guy or, or some other safety that we don't know about yet becomes the guy. Um, and then, and then, you know, there's no role for stone to come back to. So anyway, the other guy that really interesting now in terms of what he brings to the team and, and the outside linebacker inside linebacker parallel is so significant, so strong, but Harrison is the new Albert McClellan from my point of view right now. Albert McClellan, limited snaps, always at inside linebacker, played a ton of special teams, really good kick coverage guy that Rossberg tremendously respected um, in terms of, of what he did. But Harrison plays virtually the same, the same set of positions. Uh, McClellan actually started the first game of 2012 at right defensive end, I want to say. If you look back at the game books, you'll, you'll, you'll see that. But that was with Terrell Suggs out. Uh, but anyway, I... I Harrison, tremendous, you know, some some real positional flexibility there. Gives you nothing as a pass rusher, which is very similar to Albert McClellan. So it's not a, it's not a factor of that. Good run defender in both cases. They both play inside linebacker if you need them to play there. I don't think either of them gave you a whole lot in coverage, which is which is pretty similar. And they both give you a lot on special teams. They cover all, they play all, every role you need them to on special teams. Harrison is a guy now. He was a third round draft pick, so it's a little bit of a step down for him. But do you think this is a role that he'd be he'd be excited about? I mean, I think if the Ravens are willing to give him that role, he should take it. You know, the the way the inside linebacker market works is it is very boom and bust, and teams are constantly rotating through new guys and trying to find the guys that that have that. His lack of athleticism as a pass defender and the way the league has changed, I think, may prevent him from being in this role because the Ravens wouldn't want that because we were a little bit more run defense focused during McClellan's time and through this year. And if we assume the next seven years, pass defense is going to continue to be the rising kind of area of priority for around the league. And Harrison is, I I think it is being generous to say he doesn't give you much in the pass defense game. I mm-hmm. He's a guy that, if he wasn't on the roster next year I, or, or when his time was up, I, I would have no issue with him being gone. Okay. That's certainly, it, it certainly could happen. Uh, I, I think he is another guy that you want to build a strong special teams unit. Those two guys, Harrison and Stone, are a great place to start. But I think you're right that you need to see something from Harrison on defense, whether it's some play on the early downs, eating some snaps at outside linebacker, or filling in an injuries that you're actually comfortable to do it. And that you can have him uh, play at that spot, and and you know what, maybe not even filling in on injuries. If if the Ravens go back to a platoon role, if they were to trade Patrick Queen this offseason and go back to a platoon role at weak side linebacker, which means they need somebody for the first two downs, they need a run stuffer. Then you need your what effectively is Geno Stone because Geno Stone would be coming on the back end, and Chuck Clark would be moving up front probably to play dime. But you need a dime back to to be paired up with him. Uh, I I'd be excited about that possibility. I would rather see John Ross get that opportunity. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And you can, you can platoon it three ways because if you really like Ross's pass defense, then you do what they did with McLean, Ellerby, and a dime back and have Ellerby be the second and 10 guy, the second and nine guy. Well, I think we, I, and look, if Harrison takes that role, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm, it's not going to be tragic by any account, but I think you know what you've got with Harrison and the upside is exceptionally limited. Okay. All right, well, fair enough. And then maybe Ross becomes a big special teams ace as well. Obviously, that's certainly a possibility. So always a pleasure to talk football with you, Jordan, anytime we get the chance. But this this is actually a very fun topic to talk to the Ravens special teams. It's a weird set of problems, obviously. It seems to be an overemphasized unit. 
that is very difficult to, to really criticize to a certain level because the Ravens have been so good across the board in how they play special teams. But on the other hand, we, we really have to question context and total value relative to, you know, what else we've seen on offense and defense. Yeah, no, it's, it is it is a fascinating one, and especially for a team like the Ravens that puts an emphasis on it and wants to be really successful in this phase. Um, it makes them probably a little bit more interesting to analyze um, than probably a lot of the other teams in the league. All right, outstanding. Uh, Jordan, tell folks where they can talk with you online. Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, at Ravensitroom, and uh, we've got The Situation Room, a podcast that goes up on Sunday nights or the day of the game that we're trying to get out um, where we talk about some of the big impact plays of the game. And you'll, you'll be doing a few of those this offseason? Uh, probably. We'll, we'll probably do a couple during the draft period. My co-host, Gabe Ferguson, at Gabe Fergie, is a big draft guy. Um, and we'll probably take a look at the preseason. You know, whenever Lamar signs his extension, we'll probably do one. Hope hope you guys can both join us for the for the draft watch show. That's always a lot of fun. And you guys are, are uh, always exceptionally fun to spend time with and, and just – we don't do that for listens, by the way. Don't get don't get a bunch of listens on that thing. It's a streaming show, basically for for fans and real loyalists of the show. Just a, just an alternate way to watch the draft with people who are complaining about the picks or they like the picks. It can be either. Uh, all have their opinions on on who they want the Ravens to take with the next pick, but it's just an interesting way to watch the draft. So we did all three days for for some of it this last year. I'm sure we'll be doing it again this year. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, great opportunity, that one play. Uh, you probably know by now if you've been listening the last for these last few positional reviews, but pick one play in Ravens history. Come at it with your particular angle. So somebody won tickets to the Tennessee game in a contest and wanted to talk, and this is in 2000, and wanted to talk about that particular game. If you went to a playoff game on the road, and it was one of your first experiences. If if something happened to you with other fans, and you were able to get back at them or whatever, I, I don't whatever it is. I don't I don't want to hear about you know prison time you did or anything like that. But I do want to. I, I would love to hear your experiences related to a single important play in Ravens history, and we'll talk about that. It doesn't even have to be an absolutely critical play, but uh, but something people will remember. And 15 minutes, short conversation, not, shouldn't be a lot of prep necessary, and should be a very low bar. Want to be as inclusive as possible in terms of including as many voices as possible in this. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. For having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.